Welcome to the C Word, the Conservatives podcast. You're listening to our pandemic special. I'm Jenna Mathiasen, an objects conservative based in South Yorkshire. And I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservative based in Greater Manchester. Oh, oh here we hello. are. It's a little bit early. It's, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's a bit, it feels weird saying I'm based in Greater Manchester when I'm actually currently based on the sofa. Is it technically in a different county? Yeah, just about, just about West Yorkshire. Temporarily West Yorkshire. So we're discussing the COVID-19, aren't we? Yeah, we are. So it turns out that C is for COVID-19 <laughs> no. uh, on, this, on this particular <laughs> occasion. But yeah, we just wanted to do a little in-between seasons special because it, it felt appropriate yeah. uh, on the basis of, oh, look, what's happening to the world and also because our season isn't supposed to start until about mid-april and uh, whilst that's only about two weeks away it's still like um i feel like we should address this now it's like <laughs> at least three or four years in covid pandemic times yeah basically <laughs> it's happening really fast it is it is definitely though i'm guessing the the health professionals that in january said guys, this is going to be a massive problem. And like, why is everyone surprised we told you this months ago? The terrible thing is that that's still going on in certain parts of the world where they're like, well, it's not a problem here yet, so we're not going to worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. That's not really worked out so well for anyone no, at the moment. But no, yeah. exactly. Maybe we should focus first on how, how are we doing? Chloe, how are you? Oh, You're on the sofa. I'm on the sofa. I'm in my living room. I'm fine. I'm not in any sort of at-risk category, though we keep seeing news stories about why that's not a thing to be comforted by anymore. My main thing is I'm worried about my dad, because he is, for heart-related reasons. And I'm just I'm just worried about everyone, basically. I'm trying not to think about it, because there's nothing we can do. But that's the, the state of play. Is there anyone in our generation that hasn't had an argument with their parents about going outside? <laughs> that seems unlikely. <laughs> I know, I sure have. How are you? You have. I definitely have. It turns out it's extremely difficult to ground your parents. <laughs> Especially when you're not there. I mean, I feel like I was an absolute saint as a, as a teenager. I never snuck outside. Right? That is not the case when it's the reverse, apparently. <laughs> do you have people in at home where you can you can ask them to do stuff for your parents? Yes, I've got offering to drop off groceries, to pick up prescriptions. Oh, brilliant. There are people falling over themselves wanting to help, which is great. And I really, really appreciate it because I can't do anything for them. But no, I have people who are offering to help, which is grand. It's just that they are refusing help because they are stubborn people. Why are they refusing help? You know, people of a certain generation are very proud. Um... And... Very stubborn and very, well, we can do this. No, I know, but I also need you to be alive. <laughs> so I'm sure there are loads of people out there listening to this thinking, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, <laughs> but I'm fine. We're fine. Good. Um, it Good. is absolutely okay here. Um, I'm working from home from today, so that's grand. Um, it is the 27th of March as we're recording this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the UK is in lockdown. 
And it's exciting, exciting times. Oh, and I should say that we asked Christina to uh, be on as well. But she says hello to everyone and that she'd love to join us. But she's currently voiceless as she is kind of temporarily down with uh, a bit of illness that's probably brought on by work and homeschooling and everything, right? So uh, so she says hello uh, and wishes everyone well. So yeah, shout out to Christina, who's feeling a bit poorly at the moment. Hi, Christina. Well... I'm glad to hear that we're largely okay. Yeah, That's good. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking we could talk a little bit about the impact on the sector that we've seen because it's been significant, <laughs> uh, to say the least. It has been significant, hasn't it? And it's also, uh, which I found very interesting, been quite varied, quite highly varied. We are all in very varied situations, but just between you and I, both in permanent mid career type P positions. Yeah. I was sent home sent home. <laughs> I was sent home Wednesday the seventeenth. Oh yeah, that's a lot earlier than Yeah. Me. Um and then was was instructed to work from home if I could as much as I yeah. could, I should say, until we went, as the country went into lockdown and everyone had to work from home yeah, as much yeah. as on the, yeah, yeah, exactly. which day was it, 23rd? Uh, yeah, Monday, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. But you're completely different, your situation. Yeah, there have been updates every day, I should say, about like what the current regulations are and like kind of updates. Things are very much changing day to day, which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that's not changing is that rules are now strict um that's probably the thing to say <laughs> yeah it's not it's not like it's on and off like you can go outside you can't go outside no it's you do not go outside please um they're, they're pretty stern on that but yeah no uh that's right i kept going to work until yesterday we'd been closed to the public since the previous friday so the 20th and again it it really has varied how quickly people have been closing closing things and that sort of thing and uh, a lot of confusion has been over things like because i work for a local authority that means that uh, things work a little bit differently and that there are some core functions that we were expected to continue or that there weren't clear directives on and stuff like that so th there's been a lot of that and also there's a lot of as local authority workers we can be essentially redeployed so that means that if they need us to do something else that's essential to keeping people's lives running they can send us off to do that, which is, of course, quite different. So from most people who just get to go home and work from home and know that your job is your job, that's not necessarily the case if you work for local government. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily the case for me because I don't know what's coming. <laughs> yeah. I think this is all a day-by-day -day basis. And for now, I look forward to really doing some of my backlog paperwork that's <laughs> been haunting my desk for sometimes years. Um <laughs> So I guess one of the reasons we're doing a, um, a COVID special now is because we really want to talk about working from home in yeah. to start the season. But we, we were really aware that if we did that without doing a special on this topic, we'd end up making it a very COVID-specific working from home episode. Yeah. And yeah. We, I mean, after this happens, no one's going to want to necessarily re-listen to the shitstorm that happened when we were all in lockdown for this horribly scary no. reason. <laughs> no, but working from home is a useful topic to tackle. So uh, that's why we're going to yeah. do that. Tune in in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to kick off the season with that. It has been different just yeah. between the two of us. But at the time of recording, nearly every museum, gallery and heritage site in the world is shut indefinitely. Now, that's not something I thought I'd ever say out loud. 
it's really crazy. It's really crazy. There, there are some exceptions, which is why I said nearly. Last I heard, there were uh, some parts of Asia that still had, you know, right. some things open, that sort of thing, and some things have reopened and then reclosed again. <laughs> and it's, it's been a bit of a, it's been a bit of a merry-go-round on this. Yeah. Um, but but most things are closed, and that is true of a lot of society as mm-hmm. well, and places so of worship, like... which surprised me. Yes. And then, obviously, because things are closed, that means losses of income, and sometimes staff being laid off essentially yeah uh, basically not everyone can work from home and when it's part-time zero-hour contracts or freelancers there's been a tendency to let them go rather than keep them on and having them doing something from home so it's it's been been a miserable little time from that point of view i think that bit's this kind of the worrying bit in terms of well-being and the the value that museums provide I've seen a lot of really kind of innovative things that people have been, that museums have been trying to do to stay in the sort of public sphere. So doing um, like video tours and sharing different objects and stuff that are accessible on the online databases. Yeah, I must say that it's been absolutely tremendous. That's like amongst the sunshine stories to see how people are sharing things in alternative ways. Yeah. And that's been really yeah, lovely. Definitely. So I think there's like a huge amount of creativity and wonderfulness that comes out of this as well, which has been really, really great. It sounds weird to say that this during a pandemic, but it's not all bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a lot of people have been looking for the silver lining. There's been, you know, everything from video tours, as I said, to dance size um, and the feeling (laughs) of like increased community, even though we can't, even though we can't see each other. Sorry, just I'm on my uh, looking at my laptop screen right now and just had an email notification, which was about COVID-19 from um, whichever insert institution here just popping up all the time. We have been getting a lot of emails about it, haven't we? A lot, yeah. And yeah, and everyone's just trying to do their bit, which is amazing. I mean, I don't know about you, but I a very, very small part of me feels that maybe this was caused by me wishing too hard to just spend a bit of time at home. <laughs> you know? It's like uh, playing the floor is lava, except <laughs> the outside is lava. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right, so that's kind of overall, that's that's a thing that's been happening. Mm. But then I was thinking, how does that apply to conservators in particular? Well, I think it's certainly loss of income for freelancers in particular. Yeah. And I think it's going to be, it's it's one of those times when I think the sector really needs to realise that there are a lot of freelancers now and that not everyone has a cushy job that they are just in permanently mm. and that there are so many other types of jobs that are temporary or project-based or uh, freelance and that that deserves to be taken seriously. And I've been really glad to see that, you know, all the freelance networks and Icon as well have all, you know, kind of realised this and like, is this, is the package that the UK government offered self-employed people just the other day enough to support you if it isn't let us know etc because these are the sorts of things that we need to know and then i was i was getting a bit philosophical about all of this right in terms of conservation as we know it it does have a, a lot of old people in it and mm, i'm a bit worried yeah i'm quite worried that suddenly we're gonna lo- lose a lot of skills and a lot of knowledge 
just through sheer force of nature. And that makes me very unhappy. It's a little bit of a memento mori moment of, oh, if you don't share your skills with people, then no one, no one gets to carry them on after you. And that's kind of, that's kind of a strange feeling, but also one that I think means that sharing is going to become so much more important. Just hammers home that we need to pass on knowledge. And it, it, that's not because you're old or you're wise or you've done this for 40 years. We all need to share our knowledge and that we all need to make sure that there's a, there's a, pool of knowledge that everyone can dip into and that we can keep going as a profession we're not as much at risk as some professions are because some professions have very few practitioners very few apprentices very few young people going into them and they're going to be in real trouble after this i think so i think there's there's actually a tremendous amount of hope in the conservation community because we have a lot of young people coming into it willing to pick yeah. up skills as well and i think it's just we really need to share now's the time to share people i mean Yesterday was the time to share, but now was also the time to share. <laughs> so I think it just creates even more of a community and even more of a let's not hoard our knowledge like it's gold and we're dragons, right? It's yeah. Other people should benefit from what you know in any shape, way or form that you can manage. Absolutely. And I hope that we also, maybe this will be a bit of bit more of a boost to find digital ways of sharing information as well, because... Obviously, there, there are actually. I don't know whether there are there have been um, things that have been cancelled. Probably have. I just don't. I just can't think of them right now. Oh no, definitely. There definitely has been. Just in the um, conservation community, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, definitely, absolutely, there has been. So I mean, that is definitely happening, and some of those things can be shifted to online, and some are more difficult to do that with. But we will find ways forward, and I think that's the important thing. Yeah. I've seen some really interesting questions crop up on things like the disc list and stuff, like people thinking about how long the virus lasts on surfaces and how they can protect, you know, surfaces in historic houses mm -hmm. oh. and if they can ask visitors to wear gloves. Yeah. And like, also, I think this was obviously before shutdown, but yeah. like, it's so interesting that we're asking these sorts of questions. People were worrying about hand sanitizer residue especially when, you know, people are handling things directly mm. with their hands. Like, that's particularly true for, you know, archives, paper, libraries, that sort of thing. And I've seen so many surveys going around about the impact of the pandemic on both workforce and institutions. And I'm really glad that that data is being uh, collected. That's fantastic. So you mentioned short-term contracts and zero-hour contracts. Mm. I was thinking the other day that if I wasn't in the position that I'm in now, so extremely lucky, I'll say, I'm in a permanent position in a museum that, though is self-funded, is literally about the fight for workers' rights. So, like, they're the most on it that you can be. But if I was in a temporary contract like I was uh, for so many years, I would be freaking out right now. Mm. Because obviously, if, if you're working on a project that is funded, then if the funding is withdrawn, or if the project no longer goes ahead, or it g goes over its deadline or whatever, then what, ha what happens to you? Do, you? do you just get fired? I would like to offer some sunshine here. Now, I don't know about the projects not going ahead because I think that's that's too much of an unknown. Yeah. But where, where funding has been given, funding bodies have been, from what I've heard, extremely supportive, extremely understanding. Oh, like deadlines are being moved forward. People are flexible. Um, I was talking to um, a funding body just 
or a grant giving body the just the other day about well this is going to get delayed now <laughs> yeah is that fine do we lose the funding what do we do and i have never met more supportive people of like it's fine this is this is arbitrary we've made this up you know oh, we've good. set the deadlines it doesn't matter people's safety matter and the fact that the work eventually gets done that matters and the human approach has been tremendous and i hope and beg that people who are in control of these funding pots are just as human as the people mm -hmm. i've spoken to mm -hmm. because that is what we need we need compassion and flexibility and that's that's what makes the world go around right now so i think that's that's the important thing that people just stay human it has put a lot of things into context for me i think into perspective actually i'll say it's put a lot of things into perspective for me though we can be rushing towards something and though we can be stressing out about a project that we have to finish and oh no i've not done ipm yet or i've not like mm. i've got to write this you know paper as well as deliver this piece of work and oh how about that exhibition and pack objects and blah 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 and then it just end it's just stopped everything just stopped the perspective to me was oh okay so that wasn't life or death obviously it helps that everybody stopped at the same time because it does. like That's they true. also don't want you showing up at their museum to install an object for an exhibition that isn't happening anymore um yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> yes that you know that'd be madness yeah but i think it just made me think all right I don't need to be stressed about not being able to do this because everyone's in the same boat. Um, yeah. And if funding bodies... The fact, the, fact that this, the fact that this is a global pandemic is yeah. what's really made this different from anything else that's ever happened. Everything is allowed to pause for a bit. Now, things do still go on. Don't get me wrong. We're clearly still, you know, taking over. We're doing our work from home as much as we can, that sort of thing. And those things are also important in their own way. But I think it's, um, yeah, it's just been a bit of a time to think and reflect on why we're rushing things or why something's important and all that. And it's it's been, it's, that, that bit's been a positive, even if it's been really stressful. Uh, that was a very, like, sunshiny and holistic uh, <laughs> thing to say. And I don't mean to go down on that but it it did make me think now that now we're in lockdown now loads of places are in lockdown lockdown around the world uh, and if they're not they kind of should be it's kind of mm. it has made me think why didn't we do this sooner it was fine we, we this is fine this is scary and stressful and people are having to homeschool and all of that but why didn't we do this sooner and then the magnitude of the problem would have been so much less why did the uk dither for so long before going into lockdown i mean not to bring out the cynical aspect here but we all know why that is and that's because rich people rule the world and money talks and suddenly money doesn't buy you any protection <laughs> and that's when this happens quite yeah exactly um, so i mean we know why it happened <laughs> it just yeah yeah though it has i have to say i'm particularly grumpy about it Although I have to say, the social stigma that comes with going outside now is real. <laughs> it um, really is, yeah. 
But yeah, so um, yeah, it's it's been an extremely weird time just in general. But it's stuff like it's not like we could necessarily have immediately gone to working from home as it was announced because it was announced of an evening pretty much. At that at that point, people needed to be able to collect their paperwork and their laptops and you know make sure that that stuff was fine. And also, given the nature of the places we work, we do also need to put our sites to bed. <laughs> which is um, something I had not previously done. The strange thing is that it's not like closing for Christmas or closing for winter, because historic properties often close for winter, at least in the UK. And it's common-ish for things to close for Christmas, for example. At which point, it is a defined time, and you know that barring some really bad weather or something, you're going to be able to come mm-hmm. back in. That certainty is not there don't now. Um, you just don't know. Like, length of time, no idea. How long is a piece of string? <laughs> um, the people who will be coming in, don't know. Could be anyone. And, like, all of this, is a, it's a really weird thing to deal with. And, like, that's that has been a very strange thing to kind of work through and be pragmatic about and making checklists and being like, this is what needs doing, this is what needs doing then. These are the things we're going to think about. So... Yeah, it's it's just been a kind of a crazy time to kind of get used to a lot of new thinking that wasn't there before. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's... made me realise how unprepared for this kind of thing we are, really. Oh, yeah, massively. I have one more, I have, well, I have um, one more thing to bring up that I've been thinking about since this started. I did a courier trip at the beginning oh, yes, of March. Did. So I basically it was a, I did a bit of recording as a revisit from when I did the couriering trip on the way in. Low, to yes. the loan uh this time last year um and i did a bit of recording on masks and stuff because i saw yes. a lot of really eccentric mask use <laughs> honestly that sounds like a fantastic thing to have later in this episode would you like to pop it in this one because so what that basically put me in mind of is seeing other people's use of ppe and as a concern, obviously, people are not used to PPE. People aren't, they don't even know what it stands for. Why would you, if you, unless you work in catering or healthcare, why do you need to know these things? But I think maybe as a conservator who has worked in a science museum where there's everything's hazardous and um, an ethnography collection where everything's poisoned, I should point out being already uh, massively health anxious as it is in germaphobe, I'm shit hot at mask use and the safe, sterile use of gloves and a number of times over the past three weeks I've seen people with absolutely no idea how masks work or using the correct mask but without fit, without without having fitted it properly around the nose, which drives me up the wall because I'm like, now you're just wasting really good equipment and it's not yes. helping you. And then the other day, so in fact, the very last gig that I did, all my gigs are cancelled, by the way, I should say that. Um, of, course. of course they are. I'd be extremely upset if they weren't, <laughs> to be honest. Yes. Um, but the last gig that I did, I was pretty upset that I had to do it. Anyway, I felt I was fine. All of the weight stuff had black nitrile gloves on, you know, the cool ones. And I thought, this is a great, this is great. I was so tempted to ask them whether they knew the proper technique of removal. <laughs> <laughs> you nerd <laughs> it's just really because if you're not using them correctly there's no point in wearing them because no that's true it just means that you might wash your hands less if you're not wearing yeah. gloves and you think that your hands are clean 
if you if you think your hands are dirty, sorry, you're more likely to wash them more. Um, yeah. And that's my feeling about P- PPE in general, obviously. Unless it's being absorbed through your skin, there's no point in using something incorrectly because you're just going to be fooled into a, or lulled into a false sense of security um, and well, not yeah. take measures like washing your hands. Anyway, sorry. So I've been every all around Tesco's today as well. I saw people wearing nitrile gloves and I was just thinking, are you using those correctly? Are you sweeping back a piece of hair and then picking yeah. up those oranges and then scratching your nose? Like what is... Also, I've washed my hands so much recently that my hands feel raw. It's just like, <laughs> God, I've never, never been so obsessed Same. with washing my hands. My hands are so dry right now. And I've got, I noticed uh, this morning, I've got a red line, where, the way I'm normally washing my hands, where the water line naturally just flows <laughs> over. You know, there's always a bit of, obviously, you, you don't get your arms wet necessarily unless you're doing surgical technique. So much washing your hands. Yeah, it was impossible to get soap for a while as well. Um, what were people doing before? I know. I've got and enough also... soap for like two months, just fancy gift soap in the top drawer or whatever. Uh, but speaking of PPE, actually, mm-hmm. um, there's been some really heartwarming stories of museums and conservators donating their spare yes. PPE now that they are no longer working with objects to the NHS. Yes. And also the same stories all over the world of museums and conservators donating their um, gloves and aprons and face masks and everything shoe protection anything to the nhs or similar health bodies in their in their own countries and it's been beautiful uh it's been really really nice nice. yeah it has also accidentally made me feel really guilty about having oh my god absolutely (laughs) i laughed i saw your tweet and i laughed so hard because i feel exactly that we've got one mask and it's a dust mask it's not going to help anyone Yeah, I was like, well, I've worn this one and it's the only one I've got. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you can't get them. Like, You've not been able to get them since February, understandably, but you know. Yeah, as is per usual, it's the end of the financial year, which means that I have used yes. up all of my stock <laughs> and desperately waiting for April. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be touching anything for a no, while. Exactly, yeah. And also, I would just like to urge conservatives going back to work eventually, please do wait until you do have nitrile gloves. Do not risk your own health oh, yeah. just because people are pressuring you to install an object or work on something. <laughs> Safety first. Don't wear marigolds because that's the only thing you've got. <laughs> just tell them to wait because it's not safe yet. <laughs> I mean, exactly. that's, that's what I want, okay? Stay safe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so... <laughs> Other silver lining, Arts Council England has several pots of emergency funding going of, of all sorts. There's even a freelancer one that doesn't specifically oh. mention conservation, but does mention curation and all sorts uh-huh. of other like art-based things. So I think well worth keeping an eye on that one. Um, there's also, I've loved seeing announcements from other countries that their government are injecting huge amounts of money into the culture sector. Germany, Norway spring to mind, but there will be tons of other ones as well. Um, oh, I saw that the BBC is going to do a culture or museums in quarantine type series, uh, which is very exciting. Ooh. And I can't wait for to see what that is. Because if there's anything we need now, it is definitely public awareness oh God, that yeah. um, we're still around, that this is the impact on the sector, and that we're still cool places, people. We're still cool places. I've seen some great stuff on social media, like you mentioned. My favorite things are things like Museum from Home. That's been a great one, where people share things about their favorite objects and all that stuff. And oh, then yeah, uh, con- Conservators at Home and Conservation from Home are also ones that I've been enjoying. 
Now, the Icon Book and Paper Group have done have launched a series of free webinars. I think they're free. Uh, but anyway, webinars that people can attend. They are hugely oversubscribed because people are going nuts for this, uh, which is great CPD from home. I don't know if any of the other groups are doing anything like it. If you are, give us a shout and we'll promote that. Yeah, we can talk about it more in the Working From Home episode as well, actually. That would yeah, be a good revisit. Absolutely. We have several places setting up pages with good resources for dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. So Icon has a page that's being updated. AIC has one, the National Archives as well. Loads of good resources and links to anything from research papers to checklists to where you can go for funding. Like it, People are on this, which is brilliant. So we'll put some links to those in the show notes in case anyone needs them urgently. Yeah, and I've loved the amount of skill sharing going on. Uh, it's really, really good to see. Um, so I think we'll pull through people. I think we will. We will. If anyone's feeling a bit blue and struggling a bit with everything, because we all have some amount of anxiety about this, um, then go and listen to our well-being episode. Um, that's a really good one to listen to right now. Um, it's called Looking After You Conservator. We'll link to that as well. Um, and speaking of well-being, I've got a bit of a book review in a few moments, um, which is also relevant to that. So stay tuned for that. Next up, we've got a glimpse of pre-lockdown world as we join Chloe for a couriering trip to Brussels. All of this was recorded before the pandemic was announced, but as promised, it does include references to interesting PPE usage. Enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back a year on to Chloe's Courier Stories. Uh, I'm on a courier trip again. In fact, the return journey for the sign that I couriered to Brussels last year. Um, so if you haven't heard the courier trip episode of season five, um, then have a listen. This will make much more sense. I thought I'd just do a bit of recording on my trip today and tomorrow. It's only a two day thing to this time, just as a follow up, really. I've booked my parking. My parking has worked once again. I will never not be surprised when nothing goes wrong. Um, it's taken me an extra half an hour to get here than it normally would because the traffic's so bad. Uh, and I'm generally feeling very relaxed and very calm about it. I was super nervous last year, but I'm, I'm really chill about it. But I am running a little bit late because the traffic was so bad. I have to say, I'm recording this on the 2nd of March 2020. So it's a bit coronavirus-y at the moment. So I'm intrigued to see what it's going to be like at the airport. I think going out will be all right, but coming back in will be interesting, potentially. We shall see. But yes, better get going. So my gate hasn't even been announced yet and my flight's already 15 minutes delayed, but we'll see. Well, it'll be fine. Um, I'm actually booked to do my... <gasps> there's a dog! Oh, there are policemen and there's a... two spaniels! There are two working spaniels in the airport. Oh, my God. Oh, they're so cute. They're sniffing around. Oh, look. Oh, they're so cute. One of them's all chill and professional. And the other one's, like, scooting around all over the place. Oh, what's that? It's just fallen. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, what was I saying? 
Yeah, so I'm booked um, into take my object off display at the House of European History um, at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. So once I get to Brussels, essentially my, my time is my own. I, I intend to get chips and mayonnaise, duh, uh, and then find somewhere delicious for dinner. I don't mind really. I don't think I've got much time to go museums searching. So essentially this trip is going to be about um, the work I have to do and food. So I'm wandering around Terminal 2. Last year, I remember I bought some really rather fabulous lipstick, but the next makeup I need need for dancing is um, a specific palette from NYX, and they don't have a NYX counter, so I've been saved from myself, really. Um, but I am also counting the masks, the face, protective face masks that I'm seeing. And I can't help myself judging a bit. Like, I'm not an expert on safety masks and, and PP and stuff. But there's a lady sitting behind me wearing an FFP1 blue strap face mask um, that we're all familiar with in conservation. And I'm like, mm, that's dust though, isn't it? That's not going to do much. Unless someone coughs in your actual face, that's not going to... Because the virus will be closest to a vapour, right? So you'd need a red strap, P3. And she hasn't fitted it over her nose. She's just put it on. And I, I'm so tempted to go up to her and say, just pinch it just a bit over the bridge of your nose and then it'll be much more effective. Also, it's not effective. Sorry, bye. But I'm not a bitch, so I'm not going to do that. But yeah, anyway, that's, that's me whilst I'm waiting for my gate to open. I just saw two people with their masks fitted so incorrectly that I just totally forgot to have a little look at what rating they were. They were on sideways. They were fitted sideways. And you may be thinking, what? How was that even... With the nose on the cheek? The nose section on the cheek and the sort of weird, awkward, narrow bit that goes next to your ear, like on your forehead and your chin I don't understand they didn't look effective to be honest the, I've only seen one correctly proper fitted mask I've only seen one proper correctly fitted mask so far and um, it was just worn by a stylish Asian man who was just rocking it walking along um, that's the only one so far out of seven I think in Brussels the weather is exactly the same as it is in England uh, wet really wet um, and I got off at the wrong stop so I'm now walking the distance between the last stop and the stop I needed to be at uh, but I don't mind good morning I'm on my way I'm running a little bit late because I've just checked out of my hotel and it took there was a long queue Basically, it took a little bit longer than I thought it would. So I've got eight minutes to walk a 10 minute distance, but that's okay as long as I don't get too lost. So I'm confidently walking up this street as though I know where I'm going, but is this the way? I should probably, oh no, I see the station. I'm going in the right direction. It's all right, everybody, don't worry. <laughs> um, the only remaining hitch is that I don't have the name of my contact for this year. 
So, I don't really know who I'm supposed to be asking for, really, because I don't know who's still there and who's in charge of the project now in this year, so I'll probably just ask for collections or something. Um, so I'm in the gallery space. I've just had a really nice chat with the curator and conservator about Brexit, to be honest, and the, the politics of the day, which has been really nice. Oh, here's Vasilius. Thank you. I'm just recording for the podcast. If that's all right. Do you want to say hello? Hi. This is Vasilius. Yes, so we're having a look. Um, we're waiting for art handlers to help us down with it. Um, it's really all go here, so um, I'm happy to kind of wait around and make sure... Um, got everything I need just been handed a pair of gloves thank you very much um, and we're deconstructing and reminding ourselves what we did a year ago but everything's labelled so it's really good actually um, so yeah let's see what we can do I'm having a look at it now um, I've got my um, condition report here um, and I have a bit of a specific attitude when it comes to condition reporting checking condition checking after display a lot of people kind of go over the condition report and they read it really carefully and they double check all the damage that they know is there but what I'm doing is kind of this is a battered object essentially battered modern object so everything looks a bit like damage so what I'm looking for is anything that jumps out at me as being kind of uh, either new looking or unusual or that looks out of place um, I'm also obviously I'm having a look and just kind of matching up all the things that I expect to be there but I'm aware of this is an aluminium object aluminium and plastic object a lot of the scratches and bits of damage and stuff have a tendency to look quite modern if they're light scratches but if I see something I think is, might be modern, I just check it off on the photos. I'm not kind of going, I'm not specifically going to check all of the bits of damage that I noticed on the previous report and checking that they're still there, for example. But everything looks fine, yeah. It's very easy to get it off. Uh, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Case is here better go and we're done yay um so it's all packed up and snug and ready to go um it's got its the crate has got its full tape on which is nice and now i'm just walking around the museum just to kind of say goodbye to it oh and out the window i can see the really interesting geese that I saw last year, and I don't remember if I included it on my edit last year about how cute these geese are, but they're kind of orange and cream colored. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna go and have a look at the Brexit case and just sort of be around European history for a bit. And then I'm gonna go and get some chocolate and then I'm gonna get to the airport. So everything's gone very well. I'm very happy. It's been really lovely to work with them. Very nice to see everyone again. Um, definitely not as stressful as it was last year, even considering the contamination potential. But, but so far, everyone's fine. Um, so yeah, thanks very much for listening. Today I'm reviewing The Care and Keeping of Museum Professionals by Sarah Erdman, 
a 2019 self-published book that you can get on Amazon. The author describes this as a part self-help book and part memoir, and it's broadly split into three sections. One called The Personal is Professional, part two is Getting Where You Want to Be, and the final section is Conversations in Progress. In the first part of the book, we consider the often absent voices of interns, delve into the minds of emerging professionals, explore what it means to be mid-career, think about treating consultants and freelancers like they're actual people, mull over the actual reality of working part-time, look at how we treat frontline staff, and celebrate the chaos of working at smaller institutions. Each chapter has a different voice, as it is written by a different person, and is deeply personal while still feeling really relatable. It's a little bit like having a community living in your e-reader of choice, actually. In the second part, we start to challenge ourselves. To be braver, to invest in our own happiness and self-care, to become better leaders, to network in new ways, and to push ourselves to be the change that we want to see in the sector. It's honestly a really uplifting and joyful section, and it's filled me with hope even in these pandemic times. The final section challenges the sector more than it does you as an individual, in my opinion. From whiteness and gender stereotyping to challenging emotional labour in the heritage field, it's a section that gets you, at least hopefully, fired up about what we're doing wrong and what we're doing right. It ends with two chapters of equal importance. One on how to reclaim that spark of joy if you've lost it, and one giving you complete permission, if you need it, to leave if you'd like. It's kind of great like that. Life and our museum careers are a choose-your-own-adventure, and you choose. While none of the contributing authors in this book are conservatives, I feel like everything is still very applicable to us and how we view ourselves as professionals. You know, you might just recognise yourself on those pages. I know I certainly did. The emerging professionals and mid-career chapters resonated with me in particular, and I'd love to hear what you found most relatable amongst these stories. There's a distinctly American slant to this book, as it's written entirely by museum professionals in the US, but its messages are clearly mirrored on this side of the pond as well. It's a book for the thinkers, the reflective readers, and certainly not a standard self-help book in my opinion. It's well worth a read, especially if you're a manager of any kind. Oh, and one more thing. I actually really adore the modern, cute illustrations as well. They really make the book. This book has 188 pages, and it's available on Amazon as a Kindle book or as a paperback. And we'll pop a link to that in the show notes. I just want to say a huge thank you to all of the volunteers who have helped us transcribe episodes um, because we have actually got a volunteer per episode now so they're not all done as such but you are working on every single episode that we that have released amazing. and i am so impressed with you all and we'll be trying to put the finished transcripts online in the next couple of weeks so huge thank you to everyone who's helped thank us you. you're absolute superstars thank you so much you're amazing you are That's amazing you are making our show more accessible and thank you so much it's been a huge huge pleasure to have your help thank you thanks for listening with seaward and you've been listening to jenna Thyerson and chloe rumsey join us in april 
for season seven. The intro and outro music is Spring by Didi Music, used under Creative Commons Attribution License. Additional music and sound effects by Callum Robertson. This has been a Wooden Dice production. But now, you realise I'm going to put this at the end of the episode, right? <laughs> well, this is why I wanted her to meow. She's been yelling at me. Oh, yeah, Ficky Tails! <laughs>